0: Welcome ladies and gentlemen to a very special Valentine's episode of the Pop Punk Project and a steamy shout out to all the lovebirds joining us tonight. I am Keenan, the Cootie King Clark and I will be your official tour guide on this journey of love. Let me introduce you to my promiscuous partner, Mike the Mac Machine Moynihan.
1: Hey Cootie King and hello to all you beautiful boys and beautiful babes pop some champagne pull that loved one close and enjoy the sweet sensual sounds of lion k's album mm-hmm. let's stage dive in to the hot tub of love <laughs> it's so stupid <laughs> uh good enough <laughs> is the fourth full-length album by Relying K, released in November 2004. At the time of recording, the band consisted of Matt Thiessen on lead vocals, guitar, and piano, Matt Hoops on guitar and backing vocals, Brian Pittman on bass, and Dave Douglas on drums. That lineup's changed a few times throughout their career, has it not? It has. It's funny. I think we ran into this with All American Rejects, too. Shortly after this album, was recorded. Brian Pittman left the band and John Warren and John Schneck joined the group. So similar to All American Rejects, Brian Pittman doesn't appear in any of the music videos or most of the press releases for this album. However, he was the the bassist on the album when it was recorded.
0: That kind of stinks. It seems like you're not going to get credit for all that work that you just did.
1: It stinks, especially in this case, because I know Brian had been with the band since they first formed back in late 90s, early 2000s. So they finally get a little bit of commercial success and he just left to pursue other things.
0: Darn, it's a bummer. It was the band's first album on Capitol Records and the singles Be My Escape and Who I Am Hates Who I've
1: Been boosted their mainstream popularity at the time. In 2005, the album was certified gold by the RIAA and has sold over 800,000 copies in the U.S. It has received numerous awards, mainly in Christian rock categories. We gotta get this to the platinum, Mark Keenan.
0: I I know. I was just gonna say, it seems like, compared to a lot of the other albums we've discussed, those are actually low numbers for sales. We've talked about a number of records at this point
1: that have done multiple gold and platinum. Still, all things considered, 800,000 copies for a Christian rock group that was not unknown, but not very well known prior to this release. No, it's really impressive. It would be nice if this passes the platinum mark one day.
0: Yeah, they'll get there. They've got some time. Although, nobody's really buying CDs anymore, but <laughs> I'll order a couple. have got
1: to start factoring in other sales or other media formats.
0: Yeah. In May and June 2005, the group supported Good Charlotte and Simple Plan on their co-headlining U.S. tour, and then later went on to the 2005 edition of Warp Tour.
1: You went to that concert, didn't you? That's right, the Noise to the World Tour. That's huge. I was so excited for all three of those groups, but I was pretty excited for Relying K. They had always been one of my favorite groups, so to see them as the opening act for these two huge bands, it was very special. So we talked about it probably in a previous episode either. We've already covered those other two bands, But it was me, Tom, some girls from our class, Meg, Kristen, I think Monica, and then my dad, Tim, (laughs) and Meg's mom, Mrs. Treese.
0: One of the concerts that you dragged the parents to and shenanigans ensued. Yeah,
1: but it was a great time.
0: November 2004, that was eighth grade for us, right? That was the fall of our eighth grade year. That's right. That's a big year.
1: What in the world's going on, Mike? November 2nd. I think this is our first election on the podcast, Keenan. George W. Bush was reelected as president of the United States, defeating Democrat candidate John Kerry. George Bush's
0: second term. I remember that. That was a hotly contested election, hotly contested campaign.
1: It's funny looking back on it because I remember at the time the big, wasn't necessarily a scandal, but the big campaign against Kerry was that he was a flip-flopper
0: yeah, the flip flopper. I remember that. It was hilarious. He changed his he his changed stance. his mind. Yeah. <laughs> it's
1: like, that's awful.
0: Yeah. I feel like most people that change their mind based on new evidence or changing values over time, I feel like those people should be commended as opposed to being like called out for changing their mind. Yeah. But what do I know?
1: I don't remember exactly the issues that he flip-flopped on or if he even either. flip-flopped at all it could have just been you know a little <laughs> bit been hearsay. Out of portion. right yeah but yeah like a lot of people have flip-flopped on supporting the iraq war since 2004 so <laughs> i know
0: kudos yeah. to them people had a lot of bad things to say about george bush at the time too so i mean they're politicians you can just sort of expect it on november 9th the video game halo 2 the very popular first person shooter was first released on Xbox by Bungie studios. It exceeded more than $125 million in sales on its very first day of release. That's ridiculous. And it makes it the biggest opening day in the history of entertainment surpassing any other games or movies. That is such a ridiculous concept to me.
1: 125 million in one day. Yeah. One day. Now, I don't know if this has been surpassed since then. I'm sure it has with some later incarnation of that game or maybe one of the GTA games. But man, if you're Microsoft, you got to love that you were able to get that property for your platform. Yeah, that was an Xbox exclusive platform, right? Yeah, that was a
0: huge game. I remember everybody and their moms had that game. Like no matter whose house you went over, you were playing Halo. But it's also funny to read a headline where It's talking about sales in day one, whereas all the video games these days, it's like microtransactions where you can buy like an outfit for your player (laughs) and all these kids are getting scammed and they're borrowing their parents' credit card to like buy all this really stupid stuff in game. Like they just don't sell video games like that anymore. At least most of them, they don't really sell like that anymore. The really
1: popular ones you hear about like Fortnite or Fall Guys Oh, yeah. I, I'm always surprised. I would like, oh, I can download this, this for free. And then, yeah. and then they get as you play, it's like, do I want to look cool or do <laughs> yeah. I want to look like an idiot? Dude, video game culture has, uh, we've
0: discussed this before, but video game culture has gotten so far away from me where it's all about like how cool you look and all the swag you can get in game. Whereas Halo 2, that was my prime video game time. Like, I understand that. Right. Simpler
1: times. I'm just not good at video games anymore. So... Looking good is the only, it should be the only thing I care about because I can't play well. (laughs) True. Speaking of video games, Mike,
0: November 21st, the Nintendo DS was released in North America.
1: Did you have a DS? I did. That was my big Christmas present that year. Oh, nice. So you got it as soon as it came out. Yeah, I guess a month after. You must have been a very good boy. I think I was. I think that was one of those things because... They still do this to this day. We saw it recently with the PS5. They limit the amount of these machines that they release to retailers so that they create like a false sense of demand. Oh, that's right. Which like they have plenty of the machines manufactured to meet that demand, but they want it to appear like it's the must have toy. It's hard to get. It's weird. It's a weird thing to do, but they've always been doing it. I think my mom ended up somebody that she worked with had one that they didn't want. And so she bought it off of them. So Oh, nice. What games did you have for it? Super Mario 64. I think that's the one that came with it. Or that... It was Super Mario 64 DS. Oh,
0: okay. Was it the same game, but just on a handheld
1: device? Yeah, it was the exact same game, but on oh, a handheld. Oh, that's sick. I never knew that. Yeah. And I can't remember when I got all these games, but later on it was like Mario Kart DS. It was a lot of games that I already knew I loved, but made for the DS. Interesting. And then, of course, the DS also had PictoChat, which was
0: what's PictoChat? It was
1: kind of SMS before, or like iMessage before iMessage.
0: Like you could communicate with other people that had a DS.
1: Yeah, as long as they were with, like in the same room as you. Oh, actually. it was essentially useless. <laughs>
2: oh, that's so
0: stupid. I thought you were going to say like it was like BlackBerry Messenger, like you can message people like a normal text. But just on your DS device.
1: I remember, and this is funny because he'll come up later this episode too, but our friend Pete Busby back in eighth grade, it was a science fair, and me and him both had brought our Nintendo DSs to play (laughs) because you were allowed to just do whatever you wanted while you waited for the judges to come around. Yeah, that's right. So we were picto-chatting back and forth at science fair. I'm pretty sure that's the only time I ever used (laughs) it.
0: Yeah, what a ridiculous concept. I guess they made it for kids. If there were kids in the room, they wanted to talk behind their parents' back, like they were talking subtly about their right. parents or something. That's probably right. what like the appeal was. But
1: Speaking of video games, Keenan, Let's just keep the video game ball rolling, Mike. On November 23rd, World of Warcraft, a multiplayer online role-playing video game, is released. The world's most subscribed game. So that's one where you create an account and you log on, right? Yeah, it's one of those. I think even to this day, I still think it's one of the most
0: subscribed games of all time. Have you ever played it? I've never played it. I've seen people play it before, but it's not one that I've gotten into. I, it's one of those games where I think you need to spend a lot of time like building up your character, going on, I guess, quests or something. And then, I don't know, if you die in game, it's like permanent or it like really hurts your character or your stats or something. So, no, I think it's one that you need to like really commit to. That's what I'm worried about is that I'll enjoy it too much. Yeah, and that'll basically take over your entire life. It will become your new life. Just consume, yeah. It's funny that this came up because... Do you watch the TV show South Park that frequently? Or have you watched yeah. a lot of it? No, I, I do watch it. I frequently watch it. Have you seen the World of Warcraft episode? I have. Okay. I don't really watch a lot of South Park, but if it's on TV, like I'll just randomly watch it. And mm-hmm. literally earlier this week... This episode came on, and it was so funny. It was like essentially the guys, the main characters from South Park become like obsessed with this game, and it literally just takes over their lives and they <laughs> they're just sitting in their chair all day, they're eating hot pockets, they gain like a
1: hundred pounds,
0: they're like greasy and have pimples.
1: yeah, I do remember that being a, a a good episode. South Park's one of those shows where I don't watch it for a while, and then I'll watch ten episodes, yeah, because you remember how good it is, yeah and on November thirtieth, Keenan. We've talked about him before. Longtime Jeopardy! champion Ken Jennings loses after 74 consecutive wins.
0: Oh no, that was the infamous day, the big loss? It was. Why don't you tell me some stats about him,
1: Mike? Tell me all his stats, actually. I'd love to. (laughs) Over the course of those 74 wins, he won $2,522,700, television's all-time biggest game show haul. That is some cheddar, Mike. $2,000 $2,000 worth of that was his second place winnings on his 75th show. <laughs> the woman who beat him was named Nancy Zerg. You want to hear her stats? Yeah, hit me with it. Her total games won. one. Oh, really? She lost the next game? I didn't stutter there, Keenan. She won <laughs> only that episode. Oh, man. Come on, Nance. With the total prize earnings of $15,401. That's not bad, though. I'd take that. I read that. A big downfall for Ken wasn't just Nancy's competitive play, but also he had missed both daily doubles, mm, which is rare for him, right? Mm hmm. Yeah, that's a
0: sad day. But as we know, Ken Jennings just recently hosted what, like a month's worth of
1: Jeopardy game shows. Yeah, he hosted throughout the month of January. So I think he received some positive feedback, too. So we'll yeah. see if if they ever get a permanent replacement for Alex Trebek, rest in peace. We'll see what happens there.
0: Yeah, I did catch a couple of those, and I think he did a really good job. So nobody will replace Trebek, but um, I think he did a noble job. Absolutely. Here we are, Mike. Celebrity Weddings. Let's get right into it. Let's a big go. One. Let's go. <laughs> you hype? I'm so uh, hype. Well, this one has a little bit of love magic, Mike. On November 23rd, Penn & Teller magician Penn Gillette weds TV producer Emily Zoltan in Las Vegas. Guess what, Mike? What's that? Still married to this day. Wow.
1: There you go. We finally found one. Now, usually I would think Las Vegas weddings don't always last. They could be thrown together pretty quickly. You might not have your full wits about you. But I guess Penn Gillette, he's a Las Vegas mainstay. So that's just his hometown. Yeah, he's a Vegas resident. So for him, it's just, uh, you know, another day at the office. But
0: For our Valentine's episode, Mike, I feel like we really need to find a special one, and boy, did we.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So they're going on, what, 16 years? Wow. Yeah, good for them. Shout out to to Pendulette.
0: And then, on a sad note, Mike, Celebrity Death, November 13th, also my birthday.
1: We've come across your birthday before.
0: Yeah, well, as long as there's an episode where it happens in November, I'm going to bring up my birthday.
1: I don't know if we've had an August
0: month yet. I feel like we haven't, or else we probably would have discussed your birthday. Yeah. But November 13th, (laughs) Old Dirty Bastard, a.k.a. Russell Jones, the famous American rapper and member of Wu-Tang Clan, dies of a drug overdose at age 35, which was massive news at the time. I know that was all over entertainment news, and in particular, I remember seeing that on MTV News.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, that was... A very tough loss, so young, so much promise, so much he had already accomplished at 35. Wow. But rest in peace, ODB. Rest in peace. At least there was no double murder-suicide this week. I know, yeah. (laughs) That is
0: a nice, refreshing uh, change of pace. Back to the ob-mic. So, Relying K's Mm mm-hmm. Some themes. As we know, they are a Christian band. So, as expected... We know that religion and God are going to come up pretty frequently, and it does in this album. Probably over half of these songs, you can find a direct reference to God or religion. And it's unavoidable, but I think for us at the time, definitely for me, you could relate these songs to things outside of religion and outside of God. I think you can relate them to just relationships in general. So instead of talking about loving God wholeheartedly, relying on God and your faith, these songs can be interpreted as loving your significant other and relying on them for
1: support and love. Absolutely. It's nearly interchangeable with whether you love God or you love somebody else in your life. I think for the most part, they don't really say God. Yeah. There are some exceptions to that rule, but usually they just use the word you. That's right. So it's pretty easy to make the song work however you're feeling that day maybe you want to make it religious, maybe you just want to make it relative to your day-to-day life and your relationships. Yeah, for
0: sure. And outside
1: of the positives of
0: religion and everyday life, there's definitely a lot of hardships in life. And I think a lot of this album is about just capturing the human experience in general, things that we feel on a day-to-day basis that we sometimes forget that other people are feeling. So Things like depression, rejection, we're not alone in those things. I think Reliant K sends that message. And at the same time, they also wonder, oh, well, is there a higher power? Is there more meaning to all these sometimes terrible things?
1: These songs, for the most part, are so upbeat and incredibly catchy that until listening to it more and more in my later years, I never really understood how much deep-seated emotion there were in these songs, but if you just listen to the musical aspect of it, they're not mopey-dropey melodies. It's just when you read some of these lyrics, they're they're very deep and not as happy as you might think based off of the musical content.
0: Yeah, speaking of the musical content, the album is really experimental in style. It's less predictable than a lot of the typical pop-punk albums that we've seen before, It can go from punk blast beats to hardcore guitar riffs and screaming and then suddenly switch immediately to a soft piano ballad. So they do like to jump around in that style a lot. And I think stylistically and from a musical perspective, really nice change of pace and really
1: cool. Agreed. And that change of pace, it's not always necessarily from track to track, sometimes within a certain song they can change the pace from a slow song and then the chorus and verse are fast and the bridge is a completely different sound. So I've always appreciated their ability to do that. It keeps it interesting.
0: Yeah, they're not afraid to try totally different things, which is cool. So Relying K, I know for a fact, was one of your favorite bands back in the day. You definitely liked them more than probably anybody that I've come across. So what was your experience? When did you first learn about them? How did you get into them?
1: Not to take too much credit, but you're right. I was an early adopter of Reliant K, and I would say after the Beatles, they were probably my favorite band along with Good Charlotte. So Good Charlotte and Relyon K were like my current favorite bands when I was 12, 13 years old. And I owe that to my old friend, Nate, who was my grandmom's neighbor. He lived around the corner from my grandmother. So whenever we were at my grandma's house, we would hang out, listen to music. He played guitar, so he was always riffing. And he also listened to a ton of Christian rock, which was something that I had never really been exposed to. I guess at the time, I hadn't really been exposed to a ton of new music. I was kind of just starting to figure out what type of music I liked in... The modern age Mm -hmm. So He first played Reliant K for me I think it was their album The Anatomy of the Tongue in Cheek Their second album Mm, And They were just so infectious And Captivating And they They did a good job of Repeating that on all their albums In my opinion But This was an album that I got Probably day one I might have even had it pre-ordered Because At the time Reliant K wasn't always a band That you could guarantee You would find At the store Right yeah And you were never sure if they would be in the pop rock section or the Christian section. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I remember day one listening to this and it was it was a favorite from the start. You, on the other hand, (laughs) you, on the other hand, Uh, not so much.
0: This is when we're going to get into the early part of our pop punk relationship Uh, and probably some of the darker times. Of our pop punk relationship.
1: <laughs> Probably one of the only dark times. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. While you were listening to Ryan K, I remember we were all listening to, you know, our Blink-182s and our Sum 41s. And you would be talking about this band and you would be like, oh, you guys got to give them a listen. Like, yeah, they're a Christian band. And then as soon as you would say Christian band, we lost interest. And I remember specifically in like seventh and eighth grade, Tom Mackle, a rock star friend, he and I would literally like make fun of you for listening to Reliant K. (laughs) And anytime you would try to get us to, to listen to a song, you'd be like, no, it's so good. Like you have to give it a try. We'd be like, dude, we're not listening to this Christian music. And we were pretty relentless. I remember at times like we would really give it to you for liking them. And then sure enough, the second I heard some of the singles from this album specifically, I was like, okay, Mike was right the whole time. And this became in early high school, one of my favorite albums. This was an album that I would listen to, straight through on repeat for months on end so kudos to you mike
1: thanks for uh changing our minds sorry we gave you such a hard time it's no problem i understand the desire to be young and rebellious and (laughs) christian rock doesn't always fit into that mold yeah that's right like you said i was begging you i'm like these guys are really good yeah they sound like blink and good charlotte they just say god some more yeah Uh, right but and that's funny because We went to Catholic school our whole life. It wasn't like we were, you know, going around spray painting, like, anarchy and, you know, atheist graffiti or whatever.
0: I think it was really that we were bombarded with Christian messages and Catholic teachings on a daily basis just from school that I was like, okay, I I don't need that in my music too. But, you know, we were wrong. And then I think a funny tidbit too, Tom Mackle, who used to make fun of you with me, ended up... (laughs) Becoming friends with Matt Thiessen would jam with him, would party with him a little bit, and he's shared some kind of funny stories of, you know, the
1: fun times they've had. Also very weird, small world. It's really funny how things go full circle, because similar to you, I know it couldn't have been much later than me, like we're talking about a number of years, but Tommy also really fell in love with this album too so yeah we all did for 15 years later to meet just randomly meet the I don't even know how I first met him at a friend's place or at a bar but it must yeah. be kind of surreal because you you come to realize these guys always seem so much older than us when, when we're mid-teenagers but really it's only a couple years difference so yeah crazy yeah you find yourself in the same circles if uh, if you end up being a professional musician living in Nashville I guess
0: yeah for sure A lot of cool connections with this album and a lot of funny stories from back in our day. Yeah, that's what makes it such a cool, special album.
1: Definitely so cool. And special. And also special. I'm so glad you guys finally listened to it because, I don't know, I felt like I was going to go crazy. I'm like, this is incredible. Like, you're missing out.
0: (laughs) Why won't these guys believe me? What the hell? Uh, Yeah. Thanks, Mikey. Track number one, the one I'm waiting for. It's a strong pop-punk intro. It has that vintage
1: punk rock blast beat to it. You know what we call that in the industry? What do we call that, Mike? A good upbeat opening There track. you go, as always. I think this was a good song to start the album off with. It's one that gets forgotten as the album goes on just because there are a good number of songs on this album, but it still holds its own all these years later. It's fast-paced, and it really sets the mood for... What's to come on this album, Keenan?
0: Yeah, it certainly does. It's about
1: falling in love with somebody who's terrible, right? It's about falling for this person, but you're kind of waiting for them to come around and be a good person that you can feel good loving and your friends can get behind, but you're still waiting for them to be the one you're waiting for. They're not there yet. It's almost like you're
0: blinded by love and you just happen to fall in love with this person because, as we know,
1: Love is blind. But in reality, she's not the right one for you. There's also emphasis placed on listening to people that have more experience and more wisdom than you. Right. So a lot of times you'll take any criticism of a new love or a new infatuation as a negative. But in this case, Matt Thiessen's sitting back and saying, maybe I should stop listening to myself so much and start listening to those that I care about. Yeah. And... Not live my life solely based on whether or not this girl's gonna come around, but live for the people I love in my life. Because that's the most important. It's that somewhat
0: unavoidable situation that happens sometimes where a friend of yours is dating somebody and in the back of your mind you're like, oh God, why is he dating that person? When is he gonna come around and realize that she's not as great as he thinks she is? I'm sure you've had that experience before. We don't
1: need to get into the specifics, but I think everybody's had that experience. It's funny because I think I've had those experiences and it's had multiple outcomes. Sometimes I'm the one that needs to come around, Mm. you know, like sometimes I'm resistive to it for whatever reason. And then I come to realize that they actually really are good together. And other times your suspicions were right. And in fact, it doesn't end up working out, but it's just one of those predicaments where you don't like the fact that you were right because you really did hope that it would work out. But you're like, man, again, this song you were, waiting for them to be the one that your friend was waiting for, but doesn't come to fruition.
0: And the way the song ends, I think, is kind of sinister, actually. It's kind of sad. He says, something tells me this is going to make sense. Something tells me it's going to take patience. Something tells me this will all work out in the end. So even by the end of the song, he still clings to hope that this relationship's going to work and he's just going to continue to follow this person
1: around no matter what. And I don't think it's going to be a happy ending. Yeah, it sure seems that way, doesn't it? It does. Something I wanted to get into briefly on some of these songs, Keenan. listening to this as a 14-year-old, there's a lot of really good vocab words on this album. Yeah, I picked up on that too. A lot of words that I first heard on this album, or at least first learned the definition and started using them in my day-to-day vernacular. And first track, there's one that comes to mind. The word is premonition. Mm-hmm. It's a solid one. A previous notice or warning, forewarning, anticipation of event without conscious reason. Can we call this our Susie Cook segment? Yeah. Shout out to our old
0: English teacher, Susie Cook. I think she would love to to know that we were learning some SAT words from these albums. We're cooking up some vocab. Hey, should we call it cooking up vocab? The Susie (laughs) Cook segment? Yeah. (laughs) Okay, cool. Sure she would love that. So you're going to point out a few more of these as we go?
1: Yeah, I think there's five or six I noticed throughout the album where the more I thought about it, the more I realized I never used this word before listening to this song. So It's great. I love it. Let's dive into it. Track number two, the lead single of the
0: album, Be My Escape.
2: I've been locked inside that house All the while you hold the key
0: I always found it strange, Mike, how this song became their breakout single, had tons of mainstream success, was the really popular hit from the album, and it was maybe the most religious song. It might have been the most obviously religious song on the album, or the most, like, faith-based song.
1: Yeah, I don't know about most faith-based, but definitely one where if you look at the lyrics, you can relate it heavily back to God. But, like we said... If you're not reading it as this is this Christian band Relying K and you just heard it on the radio, you could think that they're talking about a girl or a partner that is your escape. True. Yeah, that is true. I'm always surprised that as a longtime Relying K fan, if you had asked me to pick a lead single off this album, it would not have been this one. I know. I totally agree with you. People loved it. it. It was a pretty successful song at the time. It was. Yeah, it was huge. It's about feeling trapped by your own actions and trying to open yourself up to others in your life and not allow yourself to continue to feel trapped in your own head. Yeah, I thought this was
0: the perfect analogy of anxiety, being consumed by insecurity, self-doubt, and the analogy is essentially being trapped in a house and not knowing who has the key. So you're not entirely sure how to break out of that horrible feeling. And I guess for a line K, religion could be that escape. I think for other people, it could be friends, family, hobbies, really anything. It is relatable in different ways depending on who you are.
1: And it could be a situation where you're not even quite sure how you got there. There's that line, I'm stuck inside this rut that I fell into by mistake. So sometimes it's like, I can't really tell you how I got to where I am, but I just know that I need to change something. I need to figure this out. Any cool vocab words in this song, Mike? There is, actually. It's funny you should ask. <laughs> Complacency, a feeling of smug or uncritical satisfaction with oneself or one's achievements. That's a big one. Thanks for cooking that
0: up, Mike, for the Susie Cook vocab lesson. Can you smell? La, 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 la. <laughs> and then there was a music video associated with this song. The music video was interesting. There wasn't a whole lot to it. I think it mirrored the song in a lot of ways it's the band performing in a room in a house and all of a sudden midway through the video the walls start closing in on them and then by the end of the song the walls collapse they break out of it they're now playing in this field with flowers and it's really hunky-dory and so it's them overcoming that anxiety
1: and breaking out of that terrible trap place that they were in as a music video overall it's not the most memorable. There are some cool parts, like when the walls really are closed in and all the band members are playing right on top of each other. That's kind yeah. of a cool a cool moment. And you're right, the walls fall down. There's what I call a green screen hellscape. <laughs> it's just like, it looks like a Super Smash Brothers level. Yeah. There's just like this giant <laughs> field platform with weird flowers. And yeah, it was weird. They're still just rocking out.
0: Wait, is that a real term or is that something that you're coining right now? What? Green screen hellscape.
1: <laughs> if it's a real term, I haven't I haven't heard it. <laughs> All right, that's cool, dude. It just looks like it was the cutting edge of 2004, 2005 technology. And yeah. looking back, it's kind of cute. Well, I know that
0: Matt Teeson in a couple interviews had said that he was not pleased with how it turned out. He thought that it was going to be better animated better
1: graphics he just it just wasn't up to his standard so he he said that before it's weird because there was literally no reason for it i'm sure it cost them a lot of money and it would have been so much more effective if they had just been standing in an open field right yeah (laughs) that's all it needed was just open space why that field yeah yeah and the feeling of not feeling trapped in your own skin anymore right yeah an odd thing that i always thought Listening to the single that we talked about earlier is there isn't a slow outro to this song, which they don't include in the single version or in the music video. But I always like the outro. It's like it slows it down and it kind of is. It adds a bit of self-reflection to the entire track.
2: I
0: That's a theme that we're going to see throughout the album, and we mentioned it before in the overall themes. These piano ballads that they throw in, which seem random, I'm sure that there's reasons for all of them, but they love to do that. They love to slow down songs, go in a totally different direction before closing it out. This is the first instance of that. I like it
1: too. The fact that they exclude it from the single shows how much of a different tempo it is like nobody ever listens to that song on the radio and thinks sounds like there was another verse that they just cut out right yeah yeah you wouldn't ever know unless you actually listen to the album like us us diehards
0: right. yeah hell yeah what's their fan base called
1: reliant k heads
0: we're the reliant k heads mike <laughs> <laughs> that can't be right the old reliables Ooh, that's good okay trademark that too you have a lot of things that we're going to trademark this episode okay Track number three, High of 75.
1: Sounds like a weather forecast, Mike. It does. It also sounds like the song we just heard. Am I going crazy here, Kenan? You're not, Mike. This week's
0: Doppelganger is two Reliant K songs, Mike. They stole it from themselves. The song's so nice, they
1: played it twice.
0: (laughs) That's right. So the intro of this song... is basically just the acoustic version of the intro of Be My Escape. That's something that's always frustrated me through the years. They put these two songs back-to-back with essentially the same exact chord progressions. I don't know how they got away with it, Mike. It's interesting because after that, the songs don't sound similar at all. No, not at all. There's so much variation there, but these two back-to-back, for whatever reason
1: are just mirrors of each other. I don't know. So this song does talk about the weather, but in terms of how it relates to our emotions and how our emotions can change like the weather, how the weather can affect our emotions, and how some days you feel good, you sunny with a high of 75, and other days it's cold and freezing. And a lot of that has to do with how we interact with the people in our life, Right.
0: Yeah, that's exactly right. And I don't know if it's the most original analogy. I think that people have been relating their emotions and their feelings to weather for generations. But the way they present it, I think, is really cool. And specifically, there's someone in your life who's quote-unquote controlling the weather.
1: People around you can affect how you feel. And sometimes the weather can just affect how you feel too. That line I don't know whether or not how sad I just got was on my own volition or if I'm just missing the sun. Yeah, right. Do you know what the word volition means? Uh-oh, here we go. You're cooking something up, Mike. Because I sure did it in November 2004. <laughs> Susie Cook's vocab lesson. Here we go. But volition is the faculty or power of using one's will. Oh, wow. That's a good one. Additionally, this song also has my tattoo line. Oh, yeah. This song has everything. Let's hear it. It's funny how you find you enjoy your life when you're happy to be alive. Wow. That is very meaningful. I go back and forth between thinking that that line is a little too cheesy. Yeah. And then I then I think it's like, no, it's nice. Like It actually is when you actually think about it. Life is much more fun living when you're just trying to have fun living. No, I think that makes a lot of sense to me. I have noticed that. That type of
0: phrasing is not unique to just this song or just that line. They do that a lot where they'll take a word and then they'll flip it on itself in the following line. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. They
1: do that a lot. No, I think they have some of the best lyrics of any pop punk band we'll, we'll discuss. Yeah, it's really good writing. We could spend hours going through these songs line by line, which we'll still spend a good deal of time not doing that. So... Lord knows how long it would take if we were to do that. but Lord knows. Hallelujah. But wait, where are you getting this tattoo? Oh, right. Um, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Do I want people to see this tattoo? I
0: mean, out of all the tattoos you've gotten so far, this is probably a more uplifting message. So maybe this is yeah. one you want them to see.
1: This also, I feel like, would be one that people would actually get tattooed. I think so, yeah. Like, a lot of them are just lines that I think are funny. Yeah, but. especially if it was like Chinese characters. Yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think I I could put this one on, on a wrist, like a wrist. Okay, like around the wrist, yeah. Yeah. And then maybe like with a little sun. Yeah, that's a good. Yeah. Sun and the 75 degrees next to it. Yeah, that'd be perfect. One more line that I just said we weren't going to discuss lines, but <laughs> this is an interesting one because it appears multiple times throughout this album. Did you catch this? The line, you took my heavy heart and made it light. Yeah, I have picked up on that. They do that a lot. They do it a few times. This is the first time that it's used. But I have always related that back to their relationship with God and his influence on being able to impact their life in a positive way. But it's used on a couple different songs, which we'll discuss. So same thing. As you said with the slow outro, I wonder if when Matt was writing all these songs, if there is a purposeful reason that he included that line on different songs, or if it just always just seemed to fit and he figured why not. It's a great question. I wish we knew somebody who knew him so we could ask him. <laughs> yeah. I wonder if Tommy will just give me his number. That'd be pretty cool. I'll <laughs> ask te- him later. Just text him and say you're Tommy, but you changed your number. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: What's up, man? It's T-Mac.
1: Oh, we didn't mention Matt would refer to him as Pickles, like Tommy Pickles. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. That was like his cool nickname for him. It's a fun nickname. So cool. I wish I had a cool nickname from Matt Teason. Yeah, one day.
0: Track number four, I so hate consequences. (sighs) Who doesn't, Mike?
1: I sure don't like being held accountable for my actions, (laughs) Keenan. Never. That is just the worst.
0: As the song implies, it is about dealing with the consequences of your actions, in particular when you go rogue and when you start doing your own thing and forget about the ones around you. And I do get the sense that through the song, you're realizing your mistakes and then you're wanting forgiveness and you're wanting to go back to the people in your life that love you. And it immediately became clear that it's kind of the story of the prodigal son, isn't it? I read that the exact same way, Keenan. the exact same way. It's all of our years of uh, Catholic education finally paying off.
1: It's a story of unconditional love. The end of the song says, I miss you, son, come home. (laughs) So that's literally the prodigal son. And when the doors were closed, I heard, no, I told you so." so. That's unconditional love. You can really mess up and screw things up really bad, but the people who care about you will take you right back and... Help you work through that together. You know, it's it's a powerful thing. Who are those people in your life, Mike? Uh, I guess your standard: my wife, my parents, my sister. You should I say you? Definitely me. <laughs> I was hoping I was gonna be the first one you mentioned. <laughs> I'll love you no matter what you do, Mike. No, the, you know the people that you can always talk to them, and it can be a really unfortunate or messed up situation, but you'll get through it together. Of it's course. nice to have those people. It is nice to have those people. Who are yours? You probably don't have too many. I can literally
0: think of none right now. (laughs) Just kidding. Same people. All my family. All my friends. And Abby. And Abby. In our Venn diagram of people that we can rely on, it's Abby right in the middle
1: for us. We can always rely on her interrupting us during our recording. (laughs) That's right.
0: And saying something stupid. (laughs) Just kidding, Abby.
1: Another thing that I've noticed on a lot of these songs, Keenan, is they have some awesome bridges. And there's kind of a two-part bridge at the end of the song prior to the last chorus. They just have some incredible rhymes that, as a former poet, I've always <laughs> been inspired by. It's not like simple rhymes. It's very intricate rhymes, like words that you wouldn't think of rhyming with one another. They mm, do yeah. it. So, Yeah, that's right. That's all.
0: Structurally speaking, something that stood out in the song is their use of call and response in the verses, where Matt Thiessen will sing one line and then the backing vocals will come in. I assume it's Matt Hoops, but the backing vocals will come in. It's really reminiscent of Taking Back Sunday and Brand New, those albums, where there was a lot of call
1: and response. So I like that. I I always enjoy when bands do that. Absolutely. There's always something going on. Like we talked about with those two bands you kind of miss lyrics because there's different sets of lyrics coming from the singer and the backup singer or the screamer um, in this case. So pretty cool. And for one of the more upbeat songs on the album, they do slow it down at the end again. When I
2: got tired of running from you, I stopped right there to catch my breath. they your words, they caught my ears. You said I miss you, son.
0: Track number five, The Only Thing Worse Than Beating a Dead Horse is Betting on One. Ooh, that's a good title. That's like a Fallout Boy, Panic at the Disco type title. Mm-hmm. That's like a good dad joke. Yeah, it's like a good dad joke. And you should know, Mike. I should. we will
2: like we always <laughs> have
0: It's a shorter song. It's like a little over a minute long. It's like a more raw punk sound. Mm -hmm. This reminded me of Some 41. On their albums, they always include one really short track that's somewhere between 30 seconds and a minute like never wake up on all killer no filler or an i c on does this look infected. It's just like a quick hit in between songs and then on to the next one.
1: Yeah, it's a great pacer for the album because like we said, there's 14 songs. So while sometimes I want I wish this one were longer because I really do love the sound of it. I think the fast pace and quickness with which it comes and goes on the album is is interesting. And speaking of that raw sound This song
0: also seems to be a political song. Like, it actually has a message behind it. It's hard to catch because they sing the words so quickly through the verses and the chorus of the song, but it actually has some type of message
1: about politics in it. Did you ever pick up on that? I did. I thought it was an interesting one because the line is, just listen to the politician wishing his position wasn't missing everything his heart would like to say. Which I thought was an interesting way of, like, when you think of a politician... They have these platforms and these these ideas that they need to pass on pretty much a party line or party-affiliated line. And sometimes that might conflict with how they actually feel, which I yeah. thought was an interesting way to look at it, thinking of a politician's morality as if that existed. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa, Mike, Jeez. Little joke there, Keenan. <laughs>
0: I see what you did there. And then as the song goes on, You can tell that the message becomes, well, the opinions and the ideas of the people are what really matter, and that politicians often pretend like they know what's best, but it's often fake. There's also, like, a lot in that short song, which is kind of wild. Yeah, for a minute, they really pack a lot in. It's crazy. Track number six, My Girl's Ex-Boyfriend.
2: I, owe it all to my girl's
0: I always thought this one was a pretty interesting concept. In the song he's thanking but also pitying his girlfriend's ex-boyfriend. Like he's saying, oh thanks so much for making this terrible mistake and you thought the grass was greener on the other side and you let this amazing person go and because of that I'm so grateful for you. Like it was sort of this backhanded almost compliment in a way.
1: We've come across this theme a couple of times, like being the one that ends up with the girl or being jealous of the person who does or vice versa. But Yeah,
0: it was always structured a little bit differently.
1: But in terms of thanking the ex, I don't think that structure has uh, <laughs> yeah. been in our wheelhouse yet.
0: Yeah, that viewpoint is totally new for us. But yeah, we've seen it. Like Blink has had songs like that, Take Back Sunday, Brand New. They have some sort of opinion on the person that their loved one is dating or has dated we've seen that before i often wondered if this song was about a specific person like if matt teeson or somebody else in the band had a particular ex in mind when they wrote this song and if that guy who's out there he knows who he is i don't know i've wondered
1: that it could be it is an interesting song when you think about it that does happen a lot in life when Somebody can treat another person really poorly and you're just looking at it like what are you doing? Like this person is incredible. Why yeah. are you not thanking God every day that you're lucky enough to be with them? I know. It's wild. Interesting perspective. What about um Abby's ex-boyfriends? Are you
0: thankful for those guys? Do you pity them in any way?
1: Yeah, I thank them every day. <laughs> Do you um, text them every day? Yeah. I say, Hey guys. No, I <laughs> <laughs> You have a group text with them? Yeah. Hey guys. Mike again. I just complain about her to them because they get it. (laughs) They're like, we know, dude. Yeah. No, I don't think this sounds like – I sound more and more, like, prude every week. But we are pretty much, like, each other's first, like, real relationship because we started dating towards the beginning of college. So, you know, there's obviously, like, high school boyfriends or girlfriends or whatever. But it's not – I don't know. It wasn't, like – Oh, I had to thank them. Like, there was never going to be, like, they were going to end up being together one day, you know? Right, yeah, yeah. I just stuck it out long enough. Yeah, totally. Or she stuck it out long enough, I should <laughs> <Yeah>. say. <laughs> <laughs> She's still sticking it out, so. <laughs> yeah, she is. Yeah, there is the line, when she and I settled down. So that pretty much means that he plans on marrying this girl. And that yeah. made me wonder, in your life, Keenan. Have you ever dated somebody that went on to get married like after you broke up? Has that happened to you yet? That's a good question. (laughs) Because I wonder Um, how that feels. Like I've always wondered. It could be a serious relationship and it just doesn't work out. And then say they go on and get married, the next person they date, and you think, would that have been me if it it had gone a little bit differently? Well, yeah. Not to get too personal here, but shout out to our good friend
0: Shelby, who (laughs) is my ex-girlfriend who is now engaged to be married. And she'll be getting married early summer so yeah i think that's the first i
1: think that's the first scenario where that's happened to me but you guys are also on very good grounds yeah yeah we're still friends friends. so it's not like one of those things where you broke up and it was it was tragic and oh no very happy for her and ben i would imagine
0: yeah that's right (laughs) I'm very happy for them (laughs) no there's no situation where like i had a bad breakup and now that person's getting married and i'm like jealous or like oh that should have been me
1: no that's that hasn't happened yet
0: but it will it's gonna happen
1: hopefully (laughs) that would be funny if you're just like relationship cancer like nobody recovers from dating you (laughs) i wouldn't be surprised yeah if you're not happy with me you're not going to be happy with anybody (laughs) yeah i don't know i'm just kidding i would just like to go on record that keenan is not relationship cancer so thanks my ladies poppunkproject.gmail.com. Attention, Keenan.
0: This is our Valentine's episode,
1: so. Yeah. Oh, man. We've been missing trying to set you up for, for, like, four songs now. I know. Yeah, we messed up a few times, but that's okay.
0: Shoot. Track number seven, More Than Useless.
1: This one's an all-timer, Mike. This is my favorite song on the album. Kenan, this is an all-timer and a first-timer because this is the first time this has happened in 18 episodes? Wait a minute. Are you about to say what I think you're going to say? This is my favorite song, too. Mike! Yep. This is a historic moment. I love everything about this song, and I understand why you love it, too. It's like, musically, it's perfect. Lyrically, it's perfect. I don't know. It's always been just such a special song for me.
0: Mike, this moment is going to be taught in pop punk history classes. Our grandkids are going to learn about this moment when we finally had the same favorite song on an album. Where were you when it happened? We'll always remember. When you put it that way, I'm really excited. (laughs) (laughs) I agree with you, Mike. There is something about this song. It's a little intangible. I'm, I'm still not entirely sure why I love it so much, but... Musically and lyrically and thematically, it's just an awesome song. And it comes right in the middle of the album when the album seems to be hitting its stride and it just hits all the right notes.
1: Yeah, it encapsulates a lot of the themes of the album. Just that thought that that you try to suppress that you are useless and you don't have much meaning in life, or even more so, you don't mean that much to those around you, which can right. be very troubling at times. I always thought of it's a wonderful life where George Bailey imagines what it would be like if he was dead. And you realize that there are a million small little things that you bring to the lives of the people in your life that would be irreplaceable without you. And a lot of the time you focus on these big things that you think are the most important things when really it's just these little day-to-day things that are constantly going on around you that you might not always be aware of because you're just not trying to focus on them. You're not seeing the good in your day-to-day life. You're just focusing on the bad things. As I mentioned earlier in this episode, Reliant K likes to
0: focus on the human experience. And this is one of those very classic but very important things where everybody at times feels like they're not living up to their own potential or feels like they're not worthy of somebody else. But we often forget that everybody has that feeling. It's something that we've all experienced, but oftentimes you can get in your own head and think, okay, I'm just the
1: only one that's that has to endure this. It's so funny what a positive feeling it is to just have the thought that you're a little more than useless. I know. I was thinking that too. Like, I'm just a little more than useless, but it's better than nothing, I guess. Yeah. The song isn't like <laughs> you're gonna change history. It's baby steps, you know? Right. Appreciate yeah, yeah. the little things. Take it day by day, and you're not useless. You know, some days you might not do all the things you want to do in that day. It's okay. Worry about that the next day. Yep. And I talked about him earlier. Our friend Pete Busby. Do you remember on Kairos, all the leaders would get to choose a song to play before they spoke? Yeah. And this was his song. So that always reminds me of our Kairos. Yeah, when we were leading Kairos together. So another aspect of my life that it has a powerful tie to. That's so cool. Did you pick any Reliant K songs for yours? No, I didn't. I, I had the worst. My, well, I shouldn't say worst. It's all relative. But my topic was piety. Mm, which that's is a tough one. Yeah, it's <laughs> tough to pick songs <laughs> about piety. The songs I used were by Counting Crows and Bright Eyes. Okay. Those so, are good. No team. Reliant K. But oh, yeah. That's okay. Pete nailed it with this one. I'll, I'll give him that. Nice. Shout out Pete Busby. Missy man. I had mentioned how I love some of the bridges on this album. The bridge in this song is my favorite part of this song, which I guess would make it my favorite part of the album.
2: Mm. Mm-hmm. I noticed, I noticed, weak is a symbol of how I use my time. Resent it, I spent it convincing myself the world's doing just fine my life and my right to use it like i should like he would, for the good of everything that i would ever
0: know track number 8 which to bury us or the hatchet that's another cool title bury you said that like tubes bury how do you say it? Mm-hmm. Berry? Yeah, Berry. Well, that's spelled B-E-R-R-Y.
1: No, you said it like burry. Yeah,
0: which to bury,
1: us or the hatchet. That's how you pronounce burry. it. Burry. It's switch to berry. That's spelled B-E-R-R-Y. I know how it's spelled, but I also know how you say it. I'm going to text Susie Cook to confirm that. Look, I might not be the most phonetic guy, but I'm I'm the people's speaker, okay? <laughs> All right, the Philadelphia phonetic. <laughs> oh nice. <laughs> Do
2: you like that? Yeah.
1: In all this time, I never thought
0: The title, as we mentioned, which is cool, has a cool message to it, essentially saying, okay, either we make up or we end this relationship. Do you know where the phrase burning the hatchet comes from, Mike? It's rooted in... And... No, I, I don't. Okay. I look I'm this guessing up, you, I'm, so. gu- I'm hoping you do. <laughs>
2: yeah. Uh,
0: nope, actually, I don't. Let's move on. <laughs> no, I do know. It's an old Iroquois custom, and I guess when the europeans settled in the new world and were encountering the iroquois nation for the first time that was the custom of essentially burying your weapons i guess going a step further than just dropping your weapons on the ground but you would bury your weapon to show that you come in peace so interesting i never really knew that i mean i understood that that was probably what it was but sure needed to confirm it
1: yeah that does sound very respectful and a little bit more time-consuming. Yeah.
0: You got to actually find a shovel first.
1: Yeah, and then do you have to How bury you, the shovel?
0: Oh, whoa, that could be a weapon, you're right. Yeah. So you're just yeah, digging yeah. with your hands by the end of it?
1: <laughs> Patting it down. When does
2: this end? <laughs>
1: We're not trying to make light of Native traditions, please. Yeah. Please don't associate our podcast with anything other than the utmost respect for Native people. Well, we almost
0: called this podcast the Pop Punk Powwow, so... We learned that that was not kosher. Yeah. Can I say kosher? Jeez. I'm going to get canceled left and right.
1: (laughs) We're going to have so many issues. (laughs) So this is pretty much about a relationship breaking up, right? (laughs) Yeah. What just happened? Um, Yeah, that's all it is. And that line, I'll always love you, but right now I just don't like you. Yep. That's a powerful one because you can really hate somebody in the moment and you know your ultimate affection for them is never going to change. but There's certain times when you're fighting and, you know, it's just bare knuckle brawling. Well, it's the real struggle of saying goodbye
0: to somebody that you used to love. Like you had so many strong feelings for them at one point in time. And then all of a sudden now they're your enemy. And so it's like you still have great memories with this person. You have some bad memories with this person. It's just this confusing flood of emotions. And so... When you finally break up with them, it all kind of comes to a head.
1: And in that moment, you don't remember any of the good memories. It's just all the bad things that have been piling up that you finally just can't take anymore. Yeah, exactly. Is this the first song we've talked about that has a banjo solo? (laughs) Like, yeah. (laughs) I can't think of another one unless I just never noticed it.
0: I don't think these are too common in uh, the pop punk genre. So yeah, this is definitely the first one.
1: I would guess probably the only one we will discuss, but it's cool. And this is another heavier song, which I always liked with the screaming. One more thing about this one, Kenan. I had a Reliant K t-shirt back in the day. It actually had a hatchet in a stump, in a tree stump. I remember that. Yeah, I remember you wearing that. It was one of my favorite t-shirts. I'm shocked you don't still have it. I talked about my car accident before.
0: Yeah. It was
1: on the back seat of the car that got oh. double totaled oh, no. and flooded. And it was one of those situations where when I crashed the car, we took anything valuable out of the car, but I didn't think I would never be able to go back <laughs> in it again. That should have been the most valuable thing in that car. I know. My Reliant K t shirt is still on the back seat of a 2006 Honda Accord somewhere. <laughs> But yeah, there's some other jabroni out there wearing your shirt. It was one of those things where I didn't realize it until like probably a week or two later when I was looking for the shirt. Mm. And it's like, oh, that's where it was. Darn. Sorry, buddy. Smushed somewhere. Rest in peace. I went online this week and looked for it, and I could not find it anywhere. So, Track number nine, Let It All Out. Today I'll trust you with the confidence
2: of a man who's never known Tomorrow upon
0: This one about going to the bathroom, Mike.
1: Mm-hmm. Like in the morning, sometimes you think you're done, but there's some a little bit more you gotta let it all out. <laughs> it's like that scene in Austin Powers. Oh yeah.
0: Everybody loves that scene. <laughs> it's my <laughs>
1: favorite. <laughs> this is one of the slower songs on the album. It is. There's a cool transition into it from the previous song, but it is the slowest song, and if I had to be honest with you, not one of my favorites. Hmm. It's a shame. Not because it's slow. I don't know. It's just, it's a weird point in the album for me, I guess. Musically, it
0: does lead from the last song into this one, but also thematically it does too, at least in my opinion. And I got the sense of this guy who just went through this terrible breakup. He's now in the process of processing that breakup and healing after it happens. And then, Eventually, by the end of the song, he's sort of accepting it for what it is. Like, okay, I went through this bad thing. This person who I used to love, we had to go our separate ways. But they'll always be a part of my life in some way, shape, or form. And I'm okay with that.
1: Right. It's something that you know is not going to work out in the long run. And it's going to hurt no matter when it happens. So you're trying to salvage both of your love and affection for one another. What still might be able to be salvaged. And Yeah. Just end it sooner rather than later. It's going to hurt, but it, it's always going to hurt. It's just a matter of when.
0: It's like pulling a Band-Aid off. Yeah. Mm-hmm. For him, it's the realization that it's better to cut ties with someone that you love rather than just stay in a toxic relationship for the sake of it. It's a cool premise. I mean, it's a, it's something that, again, we all deal with at some point in time. I changed my mind. I really do like this song. (laughs) Mid-conversation, you just decided you like it?
1: Yeah, I'm just thinking of it again. Yeah, because it's a cool thing. I guess I like every song on this album. Yeah. It is. It's like the end justifies the means, and sometimes the process is really hard, Mm. but eventually you hope that there's a a positive outcome. Trust the process, Mike. TTP, baby. This is the second time the line, you touched my heavy heart and made it light, is used. Oh, yeah, that's right. You touched my life, and when you touched my heavy heart, you made it light. I wonder if there's some rhyme or reason as to
0: why these songs, or where they're situated in these songs. Maybe it takes a little bit deeper
1: investigation. That's for our fans to find out. That's right. Posse, get on the case. We're copy-pasting, and it's time for you to search and find. (laughs) Track number 10, Who I Am Hates Who I've Been.
2: The proverbial sunrise coming up over the Pacific end You might think I'm losing my mind But I will shy away from the specifics Cause I don't want you to know where I am Cause then you'll see my heart In the saddest state it's ever been This is no place to try and live my life
0: This was the second single from the
1: album, and it's another banger. This is another really good one. The second single, albeit not nearly the same popularity as Be My Escape, right? No, definitely not, no. Which is a shame, because I think it's a better song.
0: I agree with you, yeah. It's one that I've enjoyed more over the years, and definitely recently, too. In our Christmas episode, you had mentioned something that I don't think actually made the final cut of the episode, but you had said that... The opening of this song, I watched the proverbial
1: sunrise coming up over the Pacific. You had a cool explanation for this line. What was it? We were talking about Christmas time in Australia. Yeah. And it had reminded me of the fact that I had read interviews where Matt Thiessen said that he wrote the song when the band was touring in Australia. So in fact, he would have watched the sunrise come up over the Pacific Ocean rather than watching it set had he been Uh. at home in the U.S.
0: That's so interesting.
1: Yeah, that's so cool. So that's why the song says, you might think I'm losing my mind because the sun rises in the east and sets in the west. So not the Pacific, but in terms of where he
0: was, that would have made sense. Oh, that's pretty interesting. That's cool. You wouldn't know that unless you actually
1: knew the backstory, unless you actually heard him discuss it. That's one of the perks of being obsessed with the band, (laughs) Keenan. There you go. You learn things like that. These little tidbits, those little nuggets of information proverbial is a a vocab word whoa you cooking something up mike Susie cook's vocab hour i'm cooking i'm cooking (laughs) it's referred to in a proverb or idiom or well known especially so as to be stereotypical which i think is how it's used in this case Mm, there you go this is about being able to pinpoint the moment when you screw something up and regretting it right i think so yeah
0: More broadly, it could just be about realizing and understanding your flaws finally and how they hurt the ones around you. And I do feel like he was probably in Australia at that point in time because he was trying to escape his
1: past mistakes. And this was his opportunity to really turn things around. It's about somebody giving you a second chance to right your wrongs, make amends for your mistakes. And that's something that I feel like As a culture, we're not big fans of these days. We're not really into second chances. If somebody screws up, they're canceled. They're done forever. Yeah. I hate using that term, but there's something to be said for when a person acknowledges that they screwed up and regretting that. And literally, the person who they are now hates that person that they were previously. That's one of the cool things about this song is there are
0: parts of it where he literally is speaking in the third person perspective he's looking at himself as a totally different person or he's looking at himself at one point in time as a totally different person I remember way back in the day probably right around when this album came out I remember Tubes our old buddy Tubes used to always have this hilarious line where something bad was going to happen like he had a dentist appointment in a couple days or he had a test in a couple days and he would say And I'd be like, dude, like, are you stressed about that? And he would just say, ah, that's something for future tubes to worry about. And I remember like as soon as he said that for the first time, it just kind of clicked in my head like, oh, yeah, like, why would I need to worry about that now?
1: Yeah. It's like your life's an RPG. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And then when you take the test, it's like, oh, well, explaining that F to Mike's parents is future Mike's problem.
0: (laughs) Oh, man, if only past Mike studied a little bit more. (laughs) Like, there's always somebody to blame. That's not you. I kind of like it. It's a good
1: strategy. Yeah. Thank you, Tubes. Good call. Oh, man. We love you, buddy. Love you, Tubes. Love you, Buzz. We love you, Tubes. <laughs> we love you guys. <laughs> Another good vocab word on this one, Keenan. Reverberate. Oh, yeah. What does that one mean, Mike? Be repeated several times as an echo. Cool. <laughs> That's all. That one's a little less interesting than the others. It's not as interesting, but... Still good reverberating footsteps we hear in this song, right? That's right. Yeah, we do hear that. I will say, as the second single, I think it's the better song when compared to Be My Escape, and I think it also has the better music video.
0: Yeah, I was going to say that. This is a music video that I think kind of went under the
1: radar. Definitely. And in rewatching it, I forgot most of it, but it was very interesting. It's cool. It's a cool one. It's a woman who's leaving her house or leaving her apartment. The band's playing on a roof, which awesome. Yeah, pretty sweet. And she realizes as she's walking along the street that she's kind of in control of time and what's going on around her. Yeah. It's like time stops until she moves again.
0: Yeah. She like moves forward and time goes forward normally and then she can walk backwards and essentially
1: rewind time. Right. So she's playing around with it a little bit. Like, somebody tosses her a piece of fruit, and she steps forward, steps back, and the fruit moves in the air. And then a woman's dropping a stack of books, and she plays around with that. And it's all fun and games until she realizes, as she's walking, across the street, a man is about to walk into the crosswalk, and he has his head down, and he's going to be hit by an oncoming vehicle. So... She retraces her steps, and that's, like, the point in the song, stop right there. That's exactly... Like, she can pinpoint that moment that everything's going to change, everything is about to turn very, very bad. And I think she retraces her steps all the way back to her front steps, and takes one step to the side, and in doing so, she messes up this perfect chain of events that had happened before realizing that this car was going to hit somebody so yeah
0: she sets off like this almost like this parallel timeline it's like the butterfly effect where one minor change like her stepping a foot to the side makes all these things go a certain way which saved this guy's life
1: right by doing that somebody bumps into somebody else it causes a distraction and the guy across the street looks up to see what the commotion's about and the car blazes by him and he's completely fine Compared to Be My Escape, a much more complicated and interesting video in my opinion.
0: Yeah, it was way better. Track number 11, Maintain Consciousness. In my opinion, I like the rest of the songs on this album, and there are a couple later that I really like. I think the next few, the album loses a little bit of steam.
1: I can see that. If somebody told you this album has to be 12 songs instead of 14, these next two would be the two that I would cut. Yeah, I could probably trim these. I think you're totally right. And that doesn't mean that I dislike them or they're bad songs. It's just they coincide with one another very nicely. It's about growing up and just... Kind of not being able to straighten out your life and maintain consciousness. It's not being able to stay focused on anything for too long and always getting distracted and losing interest in the things going on in your life. Yeah. And then
0: on top of that, they specifically mention relying on pills and prescription drugs to keep you focused, keep you on track. And the implication is that oftentimes those drugs just make things worse because then you're dependent on them and they kind of go in a couple tangents there. But It does feel like a very middle school, very high school theme of like, oh, life is so hard and I'm tired and lazy all the time and all these bad things are happening just because I'm bored. And this is one where I probably back in the day, I was like, oh, yeah, like they get me. I I understand this, but maybe it just doesn't resonate today. Maybe that's why we don't like it as much, but
1: it could be. I always appreciated the qualifier as a Christian band. They had to make sure their fans were aware that any drugs they took were prescription. That's true. Yeah, that's right. No recreational drugs in their bodies. This was not for fun. This was strictly business. Yeah, exactly. Their prescription drugs are probably all the drugs that everybody's just addicted to and strung out on (laughs) in the
0: current day. Like using it the fun way today. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I will say the one cool part of the song, the one part that does stand out to me, is the bridge. Again, you love the bridges. This Mm -hmm. bridge stands out. It's very meta. It's like... He's saying that at this point in the song, they're losing interest, people are probably losing interest listening to it, and it does sort of follow that theme of our own attention span and how short our attention span is. So I thought that was kind of cool. I thought that was a nice little tie-in.
1: No one could possibly listen to this more than four reps is just monotonous. Which is a vocab word, Keenan. Oh, let's hit it. Cooking something up. Monotonous, dull, tedious, and repetitious. Lacking in variety and interest.
0: I'm going to see if Susie Cook can rank all the words that you point out, from her favorite to least favorite.
1: We'll probably get a cease and desist. <laughs> Do not use <laughs> my <true>. name <laughs> and or likeness.
0: Yeah. Uh guys, can you please
1: stop? Also, I I have trademarked cooking up or whatever. Cooking we, cooking it up with Susie Cook. Whatever yeah. segment we've uh, we've unofficially dubbed this. Speaking of being young and in high school Keenan, that maintained consciousness, it always reminded me of being in class and falling asleep. Just trying to keep your eyes open for just one more day. Did you fall asleep a lot in class? I didn't fall completely asleep, but I would always do like the head bob. Oh, yeah. I do remember that, actually. <laughs> which I always felt so bad about, because I, I felt like it was so disrespectful if the teacher actually saw me doing it. But there were just days when I I could not help it. It would just bob and then snap back. I wonder if Susie Cook noticed. I never had her as a teacher, so ha! Ha! Track number 12,
0: This Week, The Trend. This Week, The
2: Trend Was to crash and burn that I pretend provides enough to get me through the weekend. So, today, you gave me a solution, And watch me run with it. Today, you gave me a solution, what have I done with it? Cause I was absolutely sure I had it all figured out way back then. And now it's this minute, this hour, this day, and this week the trend to backstab every single one of my friends And leave a voicemail message trying to make amends All the while hoping things work out in the end
0: It's a follow-up from the last song.
1: The last song bleeds into it with like a single note, right?
0: Yeah, so musically they do something similar that they did between which to bury us with a hatchet and let it all out. But also thematically, they are connected. At least that's what I think. It's about letting your life sort of spiral out of control and needing to make a drastic change because of that. So I think in the previous song, things are going bad. You can't stay focused. You're lazy. You're not accomplishing any of your dreams. This one, you're kind of hitting rock bottom, it seems.
1: Yeah, it's things that could be innocent if it just happens once or twice, but when you're doing it over and over, it's not good. Sleeping until 3 p.m., backstabbing your friends and having to call them to apologize.
0: Those two things and a couple other things in the song made me think that the song could be about, like, excessive drinking and waking up hungover and the mistakes you make when you drink too much. Because it's like, okay, sleeping too late because you're hungover, say some things that you regret, and then having to apologize to people the next day, it was like, okay... What are these guys getting into the night before? Mm-hmm. But then again, Reliant K, they were on the straight and narrow, so not these guys.
1: Right. Well, they can't come right out and say that's what they're doing, but... So they have to hint at it. Okay, yeah. Yeah. It's true. Those phone calls when you're, like, just calling somebody to apologize, and you're not even entirely sure what it was that you said or did... Never good. Really rough. Never good. But, you know, there is some optimism to it. It's wanting to break out of that repetition. Right, And... Yeah literally get cut enough to wake up the bridge in this song is another good one but it alludes to being stabbed just a little bit so that it kind of brings you back to life and makes you like snap out of it you know
0: yeah and i just want to get mugged at knife point to get cut enough to wake me up
2: i just want to get mugged at knife point to get cut enough to wake me up because i know that i don't want to die Sitting around watching my life go by And what we take from this is what we'll get And we haven't quite figured it out just yet Because all of us are all too stuck Stuck to a chair watching our lives blow up Stuck watching our lives blow up
0: Those two lines right there are my favorite two lines on the album. If I had tattoo lines, actually no, I wouldn't get that tattoo on my body. That's a little, that's a little much. That's a little dark, but... Out of all the songs and all the really good lyrics that these guys write, that one always like is kind of like a punch in the gut. You're like, oh my God, that's so over the top, but so meaningful in a lot of ways. Track number 13, Life After Death and Taxes, in parentheses, Failure 2. I always wondered what Failure 1 was.
1: I don't know. I mean, is that on any of their earlier albums? Would have been a good thing to check, wouldn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Don't worry. Our fans will check it. They have a song on anatomy of the tongue in cheek called Failure to Excommunicate, so it could be related to that. Oh, cool. <laughs> Low key, this is one of the better songs in the album. I think it's really underrated, actually. Yeah, this is one that I kind of forget about because like we had mentioned with those previous two songs, and this album is a little bit longer. So this one gets lost when I'm just trying to remember songs on this album. But when you listen to it, it's like, oh, man, this song rocks.
0: Yeah, it's really heavy. It has a heavy intro. It has more hardcore sounding guitar riffs. Which always stood out to me. I was like, oh, these guys are now experimenting in some hardcore, it seems. And the theme is about life being unpredictable. Like, you can experience the highest of highs and lowest of lows at any given time. Just for no apparent reason. And no matter how you experience life, there's always a second chance in the afterlife. So I think this does have
1: a religious flavor to it. I think this is the only song that really talks about heaven or the afterlife. Right, yeah. It doesn't just shove it down your throat, but it dances around it. And I think the the conclusion it comes to is that you should do everything you can to try to live your life to the fullest, but also try to take some comfort in any pain and suffering that you have in this life eventually will fade away. And all the things you thought were important in this life are meaningless in the next. So. Yeah. That's something that can be very comforting if that's what you believe in. Yeah, I'm with you. What could be more comforting? It's like, you can mess up, but just as long as you try to do your best. Like, that's all that's all you can do. Yeah. And the title also reflects that. Do you know where this title comes from? I mean, I've heard the expression, nothing certain in life, but death and taxes. Is, does it have to do with that? Yeah, that's the quote. It was originally
0: a Ben Franklin quote. Well, actually... It was something that was coined before Ben Franklin, but he made it popular. He was uh, writing a letter to somebody, the the name of the other person, I don't remember, but he said, our new constitution is now established and has an appearance that promises permanency. But in this world, nothing can be said to be certain except death and taxes. So he was saying that life is unpredictable, just like the song is saying. But also it was sort of a backhanded comment like, okay, taxes and death are the two things that are guaranteed
1: that's pretty cool now I'll always remember that keenan thank you there you go you're welcome it's an expression but they actually do talk about taxes the line they taxed me with a scalpel, piece by piece they cut me deep and bled me dry till there was nothing left to bleed that's how i feel when i actually look at my paycheck am i right keenan <laughs> you're right man <laughs> man just that piece by piece by piece like where where is this all going to they really get you in those paychecks mike it's such a wake-up call it definitely is. It also reminded me of all the streaming platforms these days. You used to just pay a big lump sum for cable and everybody got pissed off that it was too much. And now instead of that, it's like the video games. There's just all these micro recurring payments every month. So it doesn't feel as bad, but... It's ridiculous. It's just the same stuff. It's just yeah. becoming the same stuff.
0: If you're not getting screwed by one mic, you're getting screwed by the other. That's for sure. Oh, <laughs> that's true, Keenan. That's so true. Track number 14... The final song on the album, When I Go Down. I've
2: away so many things that could have been much more. And I just pray my problems go away if they're ignored. But that's not the way it works. No, that's not the way it works. When I go down go down
1: This is one that I never skipped, Keenan, because it's the end of the album, so there was nothing to skip to, <laughs> but I never really listened to it. It was a slow song. I was young. I'm like, oh, this song. Especially after Death and Taxes, that song's so upbeat and like heavy that if you're not in the mood for a slower song, you might be inclined to turn the album off. Yeah. Listening to it again, this is just such a fantastic song that I think I relate to now more than I did when I was younger. There's just a lot more life stuff in it that I guess yeah. you're not really concerned about as a teenager.
0: Yeah, the song really feels like the culmination of the whole album. After discussing all of those human experiences that you mentioned, it's accepting that some things are just out of your control. And in their mind, at least, there's a higher power out there, which I think they would describe as, you know, God's plan. But For the layman, it would just be accepting that life just kind of happens. Some things are just thrown at you for no apparent reason. Uh, And sometimes you have to go with the flow.
1: Yeah. And that's not always an easy thing to do. And I think this song's about acceptance of that. Like try to control what you can control and the things that you can't control, leave it up to God or leave it up to nature, whatever you believe in, just do not let your life be consumed by these things that you have no power over. It's a comforting feeling. And going back to this line that we've talked about throughout the album, for the third time, you give me hope and hope it gives me life. You touch my heavy heart and when you do, you make it light. There it is. Yep. To cap it all off. Whether it's God or whatever you believe in, these things that are weighing on you, your burden is made light. And that's a very positive way to leave this album.
0: I will say that for a Christian band, they do have a very calming and sort of peaceful way of looking at things. Like, even if you're not a religious person, you can look at it and be like, oh, yeah, that that is philosophical. And that is a
1: cool way to look at it. The way in which they say things, if they just said Jesus this, God that, it might not be, in my opinion, I might not receive it as positively. But the way they do it is just, it's a very intricate and beautiful way, in my opinion. And if you are a religious person, I think you'd look at the song and be
0: like, oh, this kind of plays like a prayer. Mm -hmm. It sounds and feels like a prayer in a lot of ways. But for an average person, I think you can just look at it and be like, oh, this is just a nice song.
1: Closing up this album, this song does a lot of good pace changes throughout. It's slow. It comes in with some electric guitars for the, the second verse and the second chorus. And then there's even a section where there's like a lot of great harmonizing and I looked it up and Matt Tyson and the rest of the guys in Reliant K were heavily influenced by the Beach Boys, which is actually what it reminded me of. So Oh wow. There's a lot of like ba ba like that kind of stuff. So yeah. pretty cool. That is really cool. Awesome ending to the album.
0: Great album, Mike. It's one that I can listen completely through from start to finish and just have no issues with it. And it's a longer album, 14 tracks, and I think it's something like 50 to 55 minutes. But it's one that I can just put on and enjoy every time. And it's one that back in the day, that's exactly what I would do. As far as listening to songs front cover to back cover, for me, it was like most of the Blink 182 albums, most of the Sun 41 albums a lot of the Newfound Glory albums, and then for whatever reason, this album. like It's just kind of random, but this is one album that has always stuck with me and one that I just really, really grasped onto. And you owe it all to me. I do owe it all to you, which is so crazy, because I was
1: so resistant. I used to just destroy you for it. As much as one 13-year-old could destroy another, yeah. That's right. Hey, this stinks, man. You stink. (laughs) You're absolutely right. Like to the extent that we had to go out of our way to say, this is where the album starts to drag. It's like, those songs are still great. Like this album is from track one through track 14. The re-listenability is unmatched in my opinion. I don't think we've ever done this. Maybe we could do it one day, but if I had to pick a top five of pop punk albums, this is definitely in the top five. And this album I don't know if it changed my life because I was always a Relying K fan and this was just the next Relying K album that I went to the store to get. But it's definitely an album that I still hold dear because it just reminds me of a very good time in my life. And interestingly enough, I can listen to it and find new meaning in it as a 30 year old with a family and different life problems than what I was facing when I was 13 or 14. Like, We've been through hardships in our life. We've been through bouts of depression or anxiety that we've had to figure out how to pull ourselves out of. And to have these songs that are on the surface like catchy pop punk songs. But if you look deeper these very compelling and meaningful lyrics, it's a very cool thing for me to have in my musical repertoire. Yeah, I think in a lot of ways, it's probably more meaningful today. I think a
0: lot of these concepts, a lot of these themes are things that we probably overlooked back in the day. We were so caught up in just the fun music behind it all. But these are things that probably speak to adults more than middle school kids. So it is kind of fun to rediscover it and it's fun to listen to it through a slightly different lens. Happy Valentine's Day to all you cool cats and dogs out there. Hope you have a good one spent with the love of your lives.
1: Or loves
0: of your life. That's true. There are some polyamorous couples out there. We're an
1: all-inclusive podcast. That we are. It doesn't have to be somebody you hug and kiss on the lips. It could just be somebody you kiss on the cheek, you know? I'm talking about loving everybody, Keenan. Loving your neighbor as yourself. The golden rule. Mm, I like that. That's very appropriate right now. Well, I love that album, Mike, and I love discussing it with you. I love discussing it with you, Keenan. Hopefully, talking about this album on Valentine's Day touched our listeners' heavy hearts and made them light. Wow, that's big. Yeah.
0: Next week, we'll be discussing Sugar Colt's Start Static. To contact
1: us after hours. Ooh, yeah poppunkproj at gmail.com on Instagram and Twitter at poppunkproject and patreon.com slash poppunkproject standard carrier rates may apply <laughs> <laughs> oh I see where you're going for here
0: this yeah. is like a, a late night type of love <laughs> Yep. the best type of love Mike
1: one of those types of loves that you don't get in person you just get it over the telephone line <laughs> that's right <laughs> so stupid I know <laughs> we love you all from the bottom of our
0: hearts you're all our valentines this year and we hope you had the time of your lives
1: XOXO and good riddance
0: mwah That was weird. What do we just? Doing? <laughs>
1: Five minutes of us making kissy noises. That was a good one. That one's going in.